welcome to Minute 7 of As If, the Clueless podcast where we talk about Clueless minute by minute. With me today are my guests, Eric. Hello. Hi. And Caroline Fulford. Hi. This minute starts with the end of Travis's speech from yesterday where he compares the Rolling Stones to Nine Inch Nails. And the minute finishes with Cher getting her grade and a dark cloud settling over first period. So we find out um, that Travis is comparing the Rolling Stones um, to Nine Inch Nails. Uh, and, you know, you could substitute the name of, of, of someone from today and have the comparison be um, Nine Inch Nails. And it would still work. Yeah. <laughs> That's because, because I, just... I, I am be not being sarcastic at all in saying that I think Nine Inch Nails has made a pretty indelible mark on any of the music that has come out yeah. since <laughs> Clueless. So. Yeah. yeah, so I think this kind of comparison here where he's comparing the Rolling Stones to Nine Inch Nails, I think you could compare someone today to Nine Inch Nails and Nine Inch Nails would stand up uh, like as a as a touchstone for kind of like mid nineties um, like bands. Uh-huh. I guess it's funny because um, this film came out like around the time that Nirvana were still quite big. Yeah. I have a feeling that um, Kirk Cobain had killed himself about six weeks before this film came wow. out. So, but uh, but given that this film was 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 like filmed in December of nineteen ninety four, I don't know why they didn't say. Nirvana here instead of Nine Inch Nails? Uh, my theory would be that he wouldn't necessarily be the kid to listen to Nirvana yeah. because he was too happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get, I, I, like, I, like I say, like with each of the introductions that we get this week, we know the characters straight away. And I, I think that him saying Nine Inch Nails rather than like Nirvana just immediately gives you who Travis is like as a character. Mm. Um, so it's like, it's a good choice that um, Amy Heckling has made. Um, or whoever has fed her this information, because um, I, sometimes I, I'm not 100 percent that Amy Heckling is the one who would have said Nine Inch Nails either. So to me, this feels a little bit like um, Breckin Meyer may maybe have suggested, you know, this is the group who I would say. Yeah. Um, and Mr. H- Mr. Hall, of course, is like it's a little off the subject of Haiti. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Say, say what you will. Really under- say what you will about Cher. Uh, her actual speech was vaguely on topic. It came back to being on topic. But then we got Travis just going yeah. off about whatever, having a stupid <laughs> teenage epiphany about bands being different for generations. I love how he's like, so I shouldn't really torment my mom anymore. And it's like, <laughs> why are you tormenting your mom, Travis? Yeah. What's going on? What is the story in the Birkenstock household? They're constantly is... having arguments about the relevancy of the Rolling yeah. Stones. <laughs> <laughs> Which jokes on you, Travis? Um, they're still unfortunately relevant. <laughs> yeah. So I just I love that exchange. I love that it says so much about Travis. Um, and he's like, you know, Mr. Hall's like tolerance is always a good lesson, even when it comes out of nowhere. Which I feel <laughs> is like a comment on what Travis has just said. Yeah, he's trying <laughs> to Travis pull something. Takes it with... Something out of his yeah. Tra- Travis absolutely. is like, thank you, and it's like <laughs> I don't think he's meaning that as a compliment, no. but okay. No. Uh, and now we get to kind of like the report cards and the important like kind of thing that happens in this minute, which is uh, a whole load of foreshadowing for us all in one go. Um, but, you know, again, it's just like a wonderful little speech from Cher where uh, Mr. Hall is like, is there a Christian Stovitz in this class? Mm-hmm. 
and share like kind of is like the buzz on Christian is that his parents have joint custody, so we'll spend him one semester in Chicago and one semester here. And then she adds, "I think it's a travesty on the part of the legal profession," <laughs> which is just such a. I, I guess that's her dad rubbing off on her, but it's just like such a weird. And I don't know. I don't know why Cher knows this because we find out later on in the film that she's never met Christian. So Cher, Cher, I, strikes, I don't know she... Cher strikes me as someone who would like know a lot about like any anybody who would vaguely be in the school. She has all of the just information about everyone. She she's very resourceful. So yeah. Except sometimes yeah. the most important or relevant information about new yeah, kids yeah. in school. <laughs> Yeah, she doesn't know everything about everyone. Um, but yeah, so I just I just love how Cher is the... I mean, obviously the film is being told from her point of view, so it's obviously she would have to be the one to tell Mr. Hall what is going on with Travis, because mm. otherwise... If any, other, if any other person in this room put their hand up and just said this, you wouldn't care at all. But the fact that Cher is the one who has to deliver this speech mm. um, and then tell us it's a travesty on the part of the legal profession, which again is like kind of an interesting kind of turn of phrase that she throws out there um and as she's doing all this mr hall then begins handed out report cards um to which travis reacts <laughs> negatively violently with this one <laughs> yeah and i lo- i just love how i don't know how bad his grades could be that um that he sees them and he immediately wants to try and jump out of what i what seems to me to be a ground floor window like he's not going to do any damage going out that window yeah. um but yeah, I just love how Mr. Hall takes it in his stride and he's like, could the suicide attempts be postponed till the next period? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not on my watch. So, yeah, like he cares about the kids, but just so much that uh, none of them die while he's in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and then Cher, obviously we find out that she got a, 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 a you know, she says in in kind of a typical way, a dark cloud settled over first period. <laughs> yeah. I got a scene debate, and it's. I just love those those kind of two sentences. Kind of contrast the like kind of the way she kind of phrases things with kind of like the kind of the, the sudden like oh my god like her teen self kind of comes through um, when she realizes she got a scene debate mm-hmm. um, and her performance and in the, the debate <laughs> her performance in the debate before which she thought was perfectly yeah. fine uh, in stark contrast to her grade <laughs> and I think it's funny actually because we've seen the speech so we kind of know. And I mean, I don't know if it's a C. Uh, it's not. No, no, no. I'd say it might. It might be a B minus. I'd say because she she obviously yeah. didn't do much research, but she she at least brought something to the table, and uh, I don't know, wrapped yeah. it up <laughs> appropriately. <laughs> so, um, so what are our thoughts on this minute in particular? Um, uh, I'm surprised that uh, Travis cares enough about his grades in the first yeah, place that's, that's to stage point. any kind of like self pitying grandstanding the only other character in a teen movie i can think of who's as prominent as he is and is like a kind of a stoner burnout Uh is um from the perfect score uh the sort of minor sort of savant stoner character has like a gpa of like (laughs) 0.001 or something that they said they meant they go out of the way of mentioning despite the fact that he's like secretly uh much more wily Mm. than he appears but I don't really yeah. believe that uh, stoners would care that much about their grades. Well, it's possible that since he mentioned his parents and, like, talking about his mom uh, arguing with him about Rolling Stones, like, maybe he doesn't want to give her more ammunition to uh, come after him if his grades are low. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting because, like, the you know the attempted suicide, like I say, probably not going to be that effective, um, and so easily stopped as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like that would be Travis. So I don't know if it's just because they've introduced the character that um, they what do they just use that actor rather than say using one of the other extras in the room. Mm. Um, but it's kind of one of those weird moments where you're like, would Travis really yeah, care? It's a bit goofier like, than I thought he'd be. He'd yeah. Just lay back and close his eyes or something. I don't know. Yeah, I would have thought he'd just gone back to sleep on his desk or something. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, yeah. So, um, but you know, the important thing is uh, this 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 grade being handed out right here is the driver for like the next kind of ten fifteen minutes of this film. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's the thing that kind of spurs Cher into the action. Yeah, in the lives. Would this be the call to action? <laughs> yeah, it's like, and it's it's perfectly placed, like with the you know that with the bell going off, and it kind of like class finishes just as she re- essentially she's got to get to another class, mm-hmm. so she doesn't have time to argue the grade at this very yeah, moment yeah. with Mister Hall. But wheels within which wheels, I feel like would have been her first. Yeah, she like that would be her first thing. Would be she'd see this grade and start arguing it, but because the bell's gone, she's got to get to the next class, and she can't she can't do that now. So she's got to kind of come up with a, a kind of course of action later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, obviously, Christian gets foreshadowed, but something I noticed whilst watching this minute is that um, Jeremy's sister gets a bit handsy. Um, like after, like as as kind of the information's being given out about Christian. He's actually kind of like massaging her shoulders. Yeah, I saw it. Like he's reaching, he's reaching forward, um, and it's just. A, I, I mean, it's just obviously we know how it turns out with those two later on in the film, but I think it's just kind of like an interesting little hint towards what's going to happen later on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I that, think this is another instance of Cher seeing everybody as so inherently admiring of her and so desirous of her her company and herself and even physically when she, as when she was attacked in the previous minute uh yeah. then she might might genuinely just take this handsy guy uh for granted especially if she's distracted by something else in the moment yeah and i think actually um like elton is sitting behind Cher. And I have to feel that that's a deliberate choice on Elton's part. Yeah. Um, not wanting to give him too much backstory before he's actually um, introduced properly. But I have a feeling that somebody was probably sitting in that seat and Elton made the move and decided that that's where... Like, wherever Cher is going to sit, he's going to sit as close to her as he can get. Mm. Um, like, that feels like his game plan for like this kind of... Um, uh, this school year is to be as close to share as he possibly can, uh, which you know pays off later on in the film with disastrous consequences. Um, now we met him a couple of minutes ago, but he has a load of dialogue in this one, so I really wanted to kind of highlight uh, possibly one of my favourite actors in this film, which is Wallace Shawn. Yeah, um, you it's know, uh, as with Twink Kaplan, who plays Miss Geist, they both followed the film and joined the TV series of Clueless, playing the same characters. Yeah. Um, but then after the first season, when Amy Heckling left, they both left. Yeah, so, okay. So, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that we can really kind of cover in one podcast, like, the amount of stuff Wallace Shawn has done. That's an entire you know, podcast like to a, itself. 
Yeah, he's he's like an actor, a playwright, and everything. You know, he made his debut as a, as a film actor in Manhattan, mm. and obviously he's well known for doing my dinner with Andre. Yeah. Um, and then in 1987, for some reason, he was in a, just a ton of films. He was in the Bedroom Window and Radio Days and Prick Up Your Ears and the oddly named Nice Girls Don't Explode. <laughs> um, and then most famously, Princess of course, Bride. Princess Bride, which I think so, is where like a ton of people will know him from. Mm. And the year before this, he was um, he made his debut um, voice acting, which is something that he does like a lot now. He's got a great voice for um, it, obviously, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as Rex in Toy Story. Yes, that's where I know him best. Um, and obviously, and he would, he, I was going to say, I feel like there's a generation of people who probably have no idea about anything before Toy Story that Wallace Shawn did. Yeah, but they know him. And they probably only know him from like Toy Story and Clueless and that's mm-hmm. it. Um, and I first, it's funny because I think I saw him first when he was on um, Deep Space Nine oh. playing um, Grand Nagus Zek. Okay, I wondered what that name was because that did not look like any of the other uh, <laughs> names on this list. Yeah, uh, he's he's essentially the head of the Ferengi. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and it's it's a role that he's perfectly cast in. Now I really want to watch um, Deep Space Nine. <laughs> if Wallace Shawn was yeah, a Ferengi... Yeah, it really plays off like the his kind of nasal voice, uh-huh. and, like really, really kind of ups it and makes it kind of like really hard. Yeah, I can see it working. Um, He's a yeah. pretty prominent New York actor. Um, he was in Gossip Girl when it was on for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he's also, he usually is, he's a big presence in the theater scene mm-hmm. in New York. Uh, he's probably a lot of the films that he's been in have been plays that he was in originally, or are versions of plays. Uh, I think you can technically get the box set of the three films that he was uh, that he made with Andre Gregory, all of which have play versions. So he's just a he's also a playwright himself. So yeah, he yeah. has this very uh, highbrow side to his career mm-hmm. that intersects interestingly with the more fun projects that he's also done well i think like the reason that he does like a lot of voice work is simply because he i don't think he would want to be in la i think he oh yeah obviously he's he's kind of a typical kind of like um new yorker um like you say like you know who who is a prominent actor um like out there so i don't i don't think that would be conducive to him like flying to LA to do films or, you know, flying elsewhere to do films. Whereas obviously he can just do all the voice work from, you know, his bedroom yeah. or whatever. <laughs> and, and, and still that would leave time for him to kind of, you know, pursue his real passion, which is obviously, you know, doing these kind of like highbrow plays. But I do love that he has these two sides of just kind of being seen as being so serious. Cause I think my dinner with Andre, yeah, the kind of the setup for it has been mocked a number of times by people who've never seen it because it just sounds ridiculous. It's so uh, funny. Most... It's such a funny, yeah. like, it's not actually so impenetrable. Mm-hmm. No, but I think for people who haven't seen it, the idea of just like two people sitting at a table having Reverse. dinner and talking yeah. for a couple of hours, like, it seems like a ridiculous setup. Although, obviously, The Simpsons, you know, they did that wonderful thing where they had the. Um, my dinner with Andre computer game yeah. that Martin is playing. And he, was Mahas playing that? You know, tell, or Martin? Uh, no, it's Martin who's playing nice. it. He's, you know, he's pushing it forward saying, tell me more. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, so I, 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 I think it's interesting that like, he's so pro- like, he's, he's like kind of instantly recognizable as well. Once you've seen Wallace Shawn, 
like you know who Wallace Shawn is. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it, like his varied career is just down to the fact that he likes you know being a playwright in New York, and everything else kind of you know is just stuff that he does because people want him in their thing. You yeah. Know? Like um, you know, it, I, I think when he's you know he was a, from what I understand he was approached to play Mister Hall for this film. Like he was the first choice oh, wow. of Amy Heckling and, and Twink Kaplan. Like so you know they wanted him in this film because obviously they admired him as an actor. Mm. Um, you know, and and he's, and he, I mean, you know, the next few minutes, you know, after giving this grade, Mr. Hall prominently features, um, you know, and the fact that he's making minor ducats, um, all all that stuff kind of is coming up in the next couple of weeks. But I just, I love how, like, kind of how he talks to the kids and how he kind of, he kind of cares, but he sort of doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think I think the way he, like the attitude that he brings to this this kind of character is like is is kind of really good, um, and kind of the you know he's the first kind of victim of share interfering in stuff, and um, you know he doesn't oversell it, you know like he it, it, he still kind of keeps it quite subtle. It's not it's not a big performance. No, yeah, I mean I'm um, a student teacher right now. He he strikes know. me as a teacher. He strikes me as someone who's there to do his yeah. job. He actually cares. He actually wants to hear something from his students. But he's going to, yeah. <laughs> you know. So I I really enjoy him, and I'm going to have to mention that the last time I saw him prominently in anything was um, when he was on the L Word for a, a few episodes. Well, uh, he's been. Uh, I think the most recent thing he did that was uh, at least big in New York uh, was a Master Builder, which is an adaptation of the uh, a Henrik Ibsen play that uh, yeah. Jonathan Demme made into a movie with again with Andre Gregory. Um, so that that was, I think, 2014. So he's still he's still very much a presence. I would recommend either that or uh, Vanya on 42nd Street if you're hankering for a more highbrow Wallace Shawn movie. And I'd recommend Deep Space Nine if you're looking for some slightly over the top. <laughs> um, I will watch both <laughs> Wallace Shawn. But yeah, so you know we we finished the week fortunately with things being rounded off essentially, and I think that kind of speaks to the structure of this film where. You know, the kind of the first act, uh, Amy Heckling has very carefully laid out all these introductions. You know, within seven minutes, you know who Dion is, you know who Murray is. We've just met Travis. You know, you know who Mr. Hall is, and he's essentially going to kind of be the antagonist for the first kind of ten minutes, um, you know, with this this grade that he's given out. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've seen the relationship between Mel and between Cher, you know, like they've they've laid so much groundwork so quickly, and they've even hinted at Josh and Christian, uh, you know, and, and setting out kind of you know these characters who aren't going to appear for a while. I mean, you know, Christian doesn't arrive until like forty five minutes into yeah. this film. It's it's crazy how quickly he arrives, um, and he's kind of like when he appears, like the whole. I don't want to get too far ahead, but that whole montage of. Um, of Cher trying to woo Christian is possibly like some of the, the kind of funniest stuff in this film. Yeah. Um, but, and you, you can know. see from the minute by minute approach that there's a lot of groundwork and mechanics that go into making something as iconic as this movie and a character as iconic as uh, Cher Horowitz yeah. is. So it might, it might definitely look effortless if you're looking at it through the lens of a teen movie. Mm. But I think it, this is why it has its staying power. Yeah, it's not lasting because it's just fun it's lasting because there's there's mechanically as you said yeah mechanically how it's structured how it's built it's so well done yeah and you know as well we've you know we um 
like the fact that Cher has kind of voiceover, and voiceover can be terribly lazy. If you've got a film that isn't working, yeah. people usually throw a ton the of voiceover. The first thing, yeah. You to notice. cover it up. Yeah. And in this case, the voiceover is perfectly yeah. in character with how Cher would view the world. Like, Absolutely. I imagine her walking around, probably blankly staring at someone for three minutes while in her head she's narrating something to herself. Yep. And kind of, you know, it fits perfectly with what she what she's going to do for the rest of the film, where in voiceover she's often... Um, I wouldn't say deluding herself, but she's she's certainly painting herself um, in a kind of good light, um, and and kind of making out that she, you know she is um, you know possibly more mature than she actually mm-hmm. is, um, and I think that kind of works really well in terms of setting up the character, especially you know there is quite a lot of voiceover in these opening kind of like seven minutes, um, but it never feels intrusive. It never feels like it's kind of there to fill a gap. It feels like it's exactly, uh, you know, it's there to enlighten you on what type of person Cher is, mm. um, you know. Uh, so, and like we said earlier in the week, you know, when she's when Dion is telling her her troubles and she's basically ignoring her in favor <laughs> of doing her own voiceover, and then she kind of just pops out and is like, "Oh, I don't," you know, he's too good yeah. for you, like, or you're I, too I good for that, him. I think that's it. That's kind of, yeah, you're too good for him. I think that's. I think that's kind of like that's kind of that's a great demonstration of of how well the voiceover suits you know this particular film. Yeah. Um, so, and I feel we've kind of covered this minute. Yeah. Uh, unless there's anything else that you can think of that's standing out before we finish this week. Oh, pretty much good. No. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Um, so for one final time, I'm going to ask you for plugs. Uh, I'm going to say uh, Caroline first. Sure. Uh, I am the host of the Loose Cannon podcast. That's C-A-N-O-N. And uh, by the time this episode drops, I think we'll we'll be towards the end of April. Uh, For this month, we went with sort of a loose, like, April Fool's sort of comedy-adjacent theme, which means that I took the opportunity to defend the bad movie rom-com as part of uh, a genre that definitely needs defending in a sort of a bad movie canon. Um, because I think that people who see a lot of bad movies tend to be guys and who don't have as much of a breadth of knowledge of rom-coms as they might otherwise have. Mm-hmm. But uh, So my guests for that month will be uh, Allison Abrams, and we're going to watch uh, Down to You, which is a bad movie classic that is hideously underseen, and Christy Admiral with 13 Going on 30. Wow. I mean, 13 going on 30 is a classic. I don't <laughs> call that bad. I mean, bad in the sense of it being, like, clearly a confection that mm. is not supposed to be canonized in any particular sense. Or like, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I love 13 going on 30, but, you know, I feel like that hit me at the right time. Movie I saw on a plane. Um, <laughs> I think I was 13 when it came out, so. Perfect. Uh, oh, I was go, at least part of, part of the audience of that movie. And the the actress who played, I'm sure you probably mentioned this, but the actress who plays the young um, Jennifer Garner, um, she was on Revenge um, on ABC before that got oh, cancelled. Oh, yeah. Uh, she was in um, that TV show as well. Uh, yeah. I'm forgetting the name of it now, but yes. But she looks like, like grown up now. She looks like Jennifer Garner. Like she, they cast that role so perfectly because that actress is turning into Jennifer it Garner as she gets older. 
Yeah, hopefully avoiding anyone like Ben Affleck, I would hope. Um, <laughs> so, and Eric, do you have any plugs? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at capital E underscore H-A-R-Z-1138, and then I was also part of the uh, other Minute by Minute podcast for A Talking Cast and uh, The Cast Next Door. Great stuff. Um, so I want to thank you both for joining me this week, because I think that we've had some good discussion over so. these... Uh, five minutes of Clueless uh, and I'm hoping that people will stay with us um, next week uh, your host will be Joel Torres um, and his guests will be Spencer Seams who um, uh, as with both of my guests was previously a guest on um, A Talking Cast and he was actually the host for a number of episodes of The Cast Next Door um, and they are joined by Sarah Roberts who is uh, Joel's significant other so <laughs> Um, she's she's also uh, a co-host with him on his podcast, which uh, I have no doubt he will plug uh, every single day next week. Um, so I, you know, I look forward to listening to those episodes uh, because they have got some interesting stuff uh, to cover, uh, and they're going to be starting out with um, one of the famous kind of moments from this film, which is the uh, cell phone to cell phone corridor conversation. Uh, where Cher is talking on the cell phone and Dion emerges right next to her and you find out that they've both been talking on the cell phone to each other as <laughs> as they were just about to walk, uh, you know, down the corridor together. And it's kind of, it's one of those weird things where it's like, these days, everyone has cell phones, so that's not that different. But, you know, in 1995, that was, that was kind of like a really big visual gag. Uh, so, and then they continue on from there. Uh, as they find, as we finally meet Josh... Uh, in this in this film we finally meet him next week so uh, tune in next week and, and listen to what they have to say uh, about uh, the the never aging dreamboat that is Paul Rudd because seriously if yeah. you watch Clueless you would think that it was shot yesterday because he looks no. just like he does it's now it's insane he made some kind of deal with the <laughs> devil and he has all the charm he used uh, to too <laughs> So um, I hope you tune in for that next week. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, and you. I will say good night. Thanks for listening to this episode of As If, the podcast all about Clueless. It's produced and edited by Darren Husted. This episode was hosted by me, Darren Hussey, with my guests Caroline Fulford and Eric Harzer. Like us on Facebook at As If The Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at As If underscore podcast. And follow us on Instagram, As If Podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes or the podcasting app of your choice. And please rate and review if you enjoy. Clueless is owned by Paramount Pictures. No infringement is intended. All rights reserved. Copyright 2016.